Let's go back to the time when Barbara Prelliman joined the Peace Corps. Everyone has a story. I am your host, Chris McLean. Welcome to The Time When, a podcast exploring the lives of everyday people. For additional information pertaining to each episode, visit our website, thetimewhen.net. Also, make sure to participate in our monthly book club. More information on our book club is also available on our website, thetimewhen.net. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is Dr. Barbara Prilliman. Hi, everyone. Uh, Today, Dr. Prilliman, you are a successful educator, but before you got into education, you were in the Peace Corps. So give us an idea of, in college, uh, how and why did you decide to go into the Peace Corps? That's a really good question, Chris. So um, I went to the University of Delaware, and I had lived in Newark my entire life. And I never, college, entering college was a lot different than what it is now, in my opinion, working with high school students. So I knew I was going to go to college. No one in my family had ever been to college. Um, So I, I didn't really have a choice, though. So my father basically said, you're going to the University of Delaware. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get in. So I did get in. Um, But in regard to Peace Corps, the opening for that really began when I did my international exchange program. So I went to Costa Rica for a semester, and that was my senior year of college. So I actually extended college for five and a half years. Mm -hmm. And my spring semester of senior year, I went to Costa Rica, and it was a pretty turbulent time in our families life because my parents were getting divorced. There was a lot happening. And Mm -hmm. I thought I could get out and I could practice my Spanish that I had been studying. So when I went to Costa Rica to study, I uh, basically my whole world opened up. I had never been really anywhere before. I had not been out of the country before. And um, I just saw things from a different light. And I had a couple of classes there that dealt with um, dealt with international relations. And I had a really great professor, Dr. Diner, and he basically made me see things from a different perspective. And so when I came back after that experience, I started thinking, what could I do that was um, beneficial or positive in the name of the United States? Some of what I had learned really dealt with our role in the world over course of time. And some of those actions weren't like the most positive light. Um, so I started researching that and I found out about the Peace Corps. So when I um, found out about the Peace Corps, there was a, a site office in Philadelphia and I went there and I went to a variety of meetings and then they had some people come to the University of Delaware. And while at the University of Delaware, the recruiter said, you'll never get in. Wow. I know. So she said, you'll never get in. You are, I was sociology at that point, although it was healthcare. I was doing sociological healthcare, their program there. And she said, there are so many arts and science people, you you liberal arts, you're not going to get in. And I said to her, this is everything I've done so far. What else do I need to do? Because I'm getting in. 
Wow. And at that point, I think it was, it was either one out of seven or one out of 10 people get into the Peace Corps after the whole, you know, interview process and mm-hmm. the selection process. So she, I remember she looked at me and she, you know, said, all right, here's a couple of other things you can do. Um, and I said, great, thank you. And so I went and did the other things that she had mentioned. And I did a couple of other things like, um, I took additional courses from the Red Cross and I volunteered at some other places and I enhanced my Spanish language. And, um, and then I did get accepted, I got accepted. And so in Philadelphia, when I went there, they said the first offering they gave me was Morocco. Mm-hmm. To go to Morocco to work on a water project. And I remember there was a, Um, a return volunteer who had just come back from somewhere and she said, don't go there. They treat women worse than dogs. No one will listen to you. Like you won't have like the credibility to be able to make a project come to fruition. And I didn't really know a lot. Like I was super naive as a young person just growing up in this area. So I, um, I said, well, I don't know, is there anything else? And um, so it did happen that Uh, my second offering that they gave me was Ecuador. And so it was Ecuador and it was as a rural health care promoter, which I thought went along the lines of what I had been studying to be while I was in college. So were you getting a a minor in Spanish or you were just studying Spanish while you were at University of Delaware? Yeah, I never got a minor. I I think I was one course away from that, but I had always enjoyed the language. So I started studying it when I was in middle school. I was never good at it. And I've worked really, really hard for every single word that I can produce. Like, so that's why when anyone says in school, you know, at Comrade, when they say, well, I can't really do that. I I don't. Mm -hmm. I'm like, nope. I'm like the little engine that could, you just got to keep moving forward day by day, just one word, practice, practice. And so I had taken it since middle school and then I took it through college and, um, and then I studied abroad and I just, I loved the idea of knowing another language and no one I knew like mm-hmm. from growing up knew two languages, you know, right. so I just thought it was something super exciting and really special to be able to, to be able to communicate with people in multiple languages. Hmm. So you got your placement to go to, to Ecuador and did you have to do some like, like training? Did you go through like extensive training? Uh, Yeah. So, well, you don't prior to, so they send, you know, they do send you information about the country, about the culture, you read up on that. And it's a long process to actually get admitted and then to go to mm-hmm. uh to the peace corps but they send you like a list of things that you could bring right to and granted it was 30 years ago that i was there now and when i look at i have a couple of my students from the university of delaware have gone into the peace corps and my friend's daughter was in the peace corps um, until recently when they've been evacuated mm-hmm. and uh so uh, hearing that they get to carry a cell phone with them like sure. i had no ability to communicate with anyone when i was there but Wow. Back to your question, um, we had three months of in-country training. So we all were brought to Miami and there were about 65, 70 of us that were in this group called an omnibus. 
And when we were in Miami, we were there for, I, I can't remember now if it was either three or four days, but it's sort of like the staging process. And Peace Corps has changed a lot over the course of time since it was established uh, in regard to admissions. And uh, so we just had a series of, you know, people from uh, volunteers from Ecuador had come to Miami to tell us what is day-to-day -day life like, what can you expect, what's the culture, mm -hmm. uh, to get you oriented. And then after, and then you had to make certain decisions too. Like after you finish serving in the Peace Corps, you get a stipend of money, like a little payout. And so you could decide, do you want the whole sum of it? And it's, it wasn't a lot of money. It maybe was like $200 a month for service. Mm -hmm. um, or could, or do you want some of it in savings bonds? And I remember I was there and I was like 22. And I just remember thinking my dad had said at one point, savings bonds are really important. So I ended up getting like half my money at the end in <laughs> savings bonds because that's what he had said. Yeah. Um, and I still have those. I've never cashed them in. Um, wow. I know. So... Uh, so after that, you go to Ecuador, and um, our group was divided into multiple groups. So there was one central group where we lived outside of the capital city of Quito in a small town, and we all, all the volunteers lived with families. Hmm. So we all lived with families, and then we would go to the training center every day. Hmm. There were two other programs, a sheep like an animal husbandry program and a fisheries program. And they went to different areas of the country mm -hmm. and their um, program was a month longer. So it was four months to train in the culture, the language and in the work that you would be doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what we did. So we were there for about three months in that area. And then you were sent to your site, they called it a site, which my site was a small town in the Andes Mountains near the Colombian border called Fernanda Salador. And you would go, uh, that's where you would live for two years. So when you join the Peace wow. Corps, they say it's a two year commitment, but in reality it's two years plus your training time. And no one, that was sort of obscure. No one really talked about that prior to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you said you couldn't communicate with back home. So for that whole time, you weren't able to, to communicate with your family back home? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, no, you could on some level. So there were, there were a few ways you could communicate, which are very different from today, right? Mm -hmm. The cell phones, uh, most everyone has them now and could communicate with those. Um, in my case, I would need to go to the post office to get my mail so people could write you and you could write people. Okay. And, um, but my post office was, I had to walk an hour down the mountain <laughs> and then I had to grab a bus that would be a almost three hour bus ride to wow. get to the place where our post office box was. So all the Peace Corps volunteers in that geographic area had the same post office box. So you would, everyone had a key and you would open it and then you would pull out what your letters were. So at the beginning of my time, like it was really important for me to remain connected to mm -hmm. here because I really didn't have a life in my town yet, if that makes sense. Right. And so every week I would make that journey 
And wow. uh, I had a really good friend, uh, Sharon, who I'm still good friends with. And um, she and I would go at the same time. So we would go in on the same day, knowing mm -hmm. we would see each other and have lunch. And sometimes we'd spend the night in that town. Uh, there were a couple of other people in the area, other volunteers, and we'd meet up with them. So I do that every week. Um, but then the longer that I lived there, the mm -hmm. more immersed I became in my town and mm -hmm. the life of my town and the people of my town. And so then I didn't need to do that because the people there became like my my life right, right. and i had right. things to do and i i was i had certain programs i was responsible for so then it might have been every three weeks every month that i would do that and and in addition to that us volunteers would travel to each other's sites like to where we were living to get to know the people and the places that were important to the volunteers so were there other Peace Corps volunteers in your same town or just in the towns around you? Yeah, so I was north. We were right along the Colombian border and there was only one other person that was, he was about a four hour walk away from my town. And he, he was a retired colonel in the army and was a registered nurse. He wow. was older. He, he mm. was probably 65 or 67 when he joined the Peace Corps. Mm. And he got on my nerves so badly <laughs> when we were in training. And I remember when we were all getting our placements, our sites, I remember thinking, oh my God, just anyone but Robert. I can't be anywhere near that guy because he was so frustrated. He didn't know the language. You know, he was, he was from the army and we're talking about third world Latin American culture. And if it doesn't get done today, it'll get done tomorrow. And Robert wasn't like that, right? He mm -hmm. wanted it done. Yeah. And, um, and then of course, when we got our sites, I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like the <laughs> closest person to me. Like what? But the thing about that is, which I would say is one of my uh, points or advice in life is that like things that you believe like that are going to be like, horrible or you can't believe this occurs end up being like some of the best things that have ever happened to you yeah right and yeah. you don't realize it at the time you just think mm -hmm. of all the adversity or the sadness or the loss and i you know i i look back at being moved to conrad for example as like a trauma that occurred mm -hmm. at that moment in time it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me yeah you know, in regard to my profession and so that was how i feel about robert and so he um he was super athletic which i have never been right i've always like worked for that too like anything that i could do um and so robert would walk over a lot and um like the first time he walked over he found a horseshoe and mm. so he nailed it up on the door of my little house where i lived <laughs> good luck you know and um and then he also, like, he wrote me a poem. No one in my entire life has ever written me a poem except for Robert. Like, this beautiful poem on my 24th birthday. He wow. wrote. I know. Um, so, so he was the closest person to me. There was no one else in my town. Hmm. It was just me, which I think that was one of the things that I think about um, what I've learned. And one of the first things I learned was I learned how to be alone, but not feel lonely. 
Hmm. And I think a lot of people nowadays, we surround ourselves and maybe with this experience, things will change up for some people at some point. Right. But I think it's really important to feel like, to feel like you're okay to be by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll go to the movies alone and that doesn't phase me. I don't think I would have ever done that if I hadn't have been in the Peace Corps. Yeah. Or, you know, there's a variety of things that I, I like to do and to have my alone time and to know that that I don't feel lonely. I don't feel sad. I'm not around other people. I enjoy being by myself. Yeah. Uh, and I think along with that comes independence. I don't, you know, going from my parents' home to a dorm and then maybe I would have come back and had, you know, or I, I would have gone and had roommates and then gotten married, like going from place to place with, no, never an opportunity to become independent, to think mm-hmm. about what I could do. How could I do things to push myself Right, um, is important. And then uh, the thing I, like when I reflect and I think about my time, I think the biggest gift that I got was to, to develop a sense of empathy towards other people in mm-hmm. that I was in a, place where I was different than everyone else yeah noticeable like every moment were they welcoming of you like when you first got there or did they look at you like who's this like American coming? yeah it was sort of a novelty you know mm-hmm. what I mean that here's this American and um I thought like you know there were <laughs> they there were some people that were s- super kind there were other people that sort of like like a I want to say sort of like a play thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were other people like I had that were mischievous. So for example, I had one, um, I had one, a couple of uh, gentlemen that were older than I was. They were part of like this government um, group that would come in once a week. So they would do the paperwork for naming babies or if someone had a property issue, those kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. they didn't live in the town. And so I remember I was walking by once and they said, you know, how did you wake up today? And I said, oh, great. And they said, well, you know what? You can use this word viringa. It, it, it says like super, like great, happy. And I said, well, that's awesome. And I'm trying to learn the language, you know? So then I move on and I see this older woman who, you know, has gifted me milk multiple times or something. And she goes, well, how did you wake up? Cause that's how everyone greets each other. And I said, well, I woke up at Inga. And she looks at me like with this horror on her face. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and I remember thinking, Oh, I'm mispronouncing that word. I got to ask Caramelina, the woman I work with the, at the health center, mm-hmm. what, how to pronounce it. And then I, you know, meet someone else in the street before I get to work. And they asked me the same thing. And their response is similar to the woman. So when I finally get to the little health center, I said to Carmelina, well, I woke up Biringa and she goes, oh my God. She's like, Barbara, why are you saying that? (laughs) And I said, well, they told me it means like super happy, like excited. And she goes, it means naked. (laughs) Like, you know, so it was, it was sort of like that, that there were people there are all kinds of people. There were people that were extremely helpful, which I would say 99% of them were. Mm. And then there were other people that, you know, that I was just extremely different. Right. Mm. And, but I think going back to what I thought was, I think it's one of those 
life lessons where I was really fortunate to have had that opportunity because growing up in Newark, you know, I hung out mm-hmm. with basically all middle class, working class white people mm-hmm. and who had had never really had experiences outside of this small like area. And the idea that I was in a place where it was a completely different culture, a completely mm-hmm. different language, people, I look different than everyone else. Like the, the idea that I could understand on some level what it is to be different, I think really benefited me later on in my teaching mm-hmm. and just in life. I hope you are enjoying this episode of The Time When. Tune into episode seven, part two of this interview, to hear how Barbara's life changed when she returned home from the Peace Corps. For more information from each episode, go to our website, thetimewhen.net. And remember, everyone has a story.